Welcome to another Rose Conspiracy Guys True Crime episode. Uh, today we're talking about the original Dog Whisperer. <coughs> Don't murder. <coughs> this guy is uh, the 1970s most famous uh, New York serial killer. He terrorized the entire uh, island of, of Manhattan for uh, uh, over a year. 16 million people quaking in their boots, thinking that this cunt was going to jump out behind a, a building and shoot them. Uh, he says it was motivated by this, the spirit of uh, a demon inside of his neighbor's dog. This time we're talking about the son of Sam, uh, David Berkowitz. And joining me in the hot seat, all the way from England, England, uh, <laughs> via via uh, Squadcast FM, for all those podcasters out there, get on that shit, Squadcast. Streaming live on YouTube, we have the one and only Carol Donnelly. How are you doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. This is exciting, it's Squadcast. I've never yeah. done one of these. They're deadly, man. It's a really good app, and it's like not not hashtag SP at all, uh, bringing podcasters from across the world together. So hopefully we'll be able to do some some more episodes together, and uh, with some of our American uh, cohorts as well. You're part of the All Things Comedy Network, along with Sam Tripoli and Ari Shafir and these kind of guys. Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's a bunch of good comics uh, on that. I think we're one of the few British comics on it, our one. There's a few Aussies on there, like um, Will uh, Anderson and people like that. So, yeah, they're starting to bring people in from around the world, which is quite exciting. Yeah, bringing it all together, man. Podcasting is a worldwide Sorry. thing. It's not your fucking backyard shit anymore. And uh, what's what's your what's your podcast called? Uh, the one we got on All Things Comedy is the Carl or Chris podcast. So it used to be the Carl and Chris podcast when me and Chris Martin, my partner, lived in London together. Podcast partner. <laughs> so I forgot the word partner could mean we were a Sure, that's okay. Couple, that's okay is fine. too. We're, we're both, yeah, it's absolutely fine. We're both yeah. married to women, so that would be difficult for them to learn. Imagine learning that on a podcast. <laughs> but, um, but he's Ex- like Chris those now. Those conspiracy guys exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chris now actually lives in L.A., but so he currently we've sort of we still do the podcast as it's ours, but we've split it. So we do them individually. I do them with guests yeah. in London. He does them with guests in LA. Of course, Chris um, Martin, like he had to go, he had to go there after he was married to Gwyneth Paltrow, and Coldplay got really big, so he just moved to LA. Like, is that? Yeah. Well, the amount of grief he gets online, he he gets about I reckon two three messages a day on Instagram or Twitter from somebody from India or China who just thinks he's Chris Martin because he does actually look a bit like him as well I'd play that up man I'd be like let's let's lean back into that shit and use it as an Instagram marketing strategy like why the fuck not do you know I'm yeah. going to be going on the whole uh, Jonah Hill Seth Rogen thing as soon as I get over there have to be a little yeah. bit more uh Dewey, I guess a little bit just wind that up a little bit be a bit, a bit more like I think I think it's a that's the proper adjective and uh, on your podcast you, you interview comedians you talk about comedy and you talk about well yeah we actually uh, we, we, life. over the years we've, comedy has become less and less of a discussion point no we just, we just talk about all sorts I just told you about how recently we had one where I had to edit a chunk out because we said something about somebody that we thought was a well-known secret uh and it was like an open secret but it turns out it was a an a legal secret so like a proper secret it was a real i mean it was a massive secret i wish i could say it but yeah we talked about a comedian who had a criminal past that we thought was well known turns out he not well hadn't known. 
Yeah, we, we talk about this kind of stuff all the time, skirt the, the, I guess, the borders of legality. And when we had one episode on uh, Sandy Hook, um, and then I saw what was going on with Alex Jones, it was squeaky bum time for a while, Carol, yeah. I have to admit. Like, I mean, uh, what you say on a podcast, I suppose, can be r- r- deleted. But uh, yeah. what you say on Twitter is screenshotted and, uh, you know, can be held in that. evidence against you. Lord of mercy on James Gunn. Uh, and the Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy 3 is <laughs> the end of that shit. Uh, everyone is now frantically going back to their Twitter, just like deleting everything. Oh, I, 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 couldn't, I wouldn't even be bothered to scan back. I'll just accept that I've probably said something that will get me fired from some job at, at some point. I've, basically, I'm already just coming to terms with losing whatever job it is that I lose. <laughs> I'd rather do that than spend two days going back through Twitter. You feel freer. It's just like, yeah, it's like a social media Russian yeah. roulette, right? Exactly. Let's you know, not, not dwell on the past. Let's just <laughs> scared about the future. <laughs> That's the way it always is for us. When's the next fucking paycheck? So uh, you were um, a comedian as well. You're, you're going to be going to Edinburgh. Uh, I am, yeah. I got the, the uh, yeah, comedy Yeah, the fringe. So, um, obviously, but, um, this won't, this will, by the time this goes out, it will probably have started. Starts very start of August, goes through to the end. And yeah, I'm doing it for, it's the 12th year in a row I'm doing it. I've done it since I started out. I'm Savage. brand new. Savage. I know, I've not had a, it's my dear, so I've, technically by the end of this festival, I've spent over a year uh, in Edinburgh, the city, which is weird. At the fe- uh, doing the festival, which is no mean feat either. It's a, it's a, it's a test of mental and physical endurance, like drinking white lightning, yeah. eating uh, deep fried foods, staying up all yeah. night. Like we're doing it's, uh, yeah, it's, it really takes it out of you physically. Actually, I mean, I've got better over the last couple of years. When I was, you know, when I was quite new to comedy, I treated it as a lad's holiday. We still refer to it as Ladinbra, which is really horrible. But um, yeah, it's just a, you know because we were all like mid twenties, just in a bit. But you're able in your mid twenties, man. You could drink all day, have oh, lots yeah. of fucking kebabs at night time, wake up in the morning, shit a shovel handle, and then get out and just fly her all afternoon and do comedy that night yeah. on a on a just haze a, of. You know, Absolutely. sugary cider and uh, mild cocaine. And a Diana diet, a diet coke. When you woke up, just managed to just get rid of any hangover. I don't know how, but now I went my, on girl, a my girlfriend calls a diet coke a black ambulance for the hangover. Well, That's what it is. It's nice. Yeah, it's good. Um, but I'm still recovering from a stag do I went on three weeks ago. Oh, my. so that is that's where we're at now. It was four days fully old school drinking, and I just I can't. My body did not forgive me. You're like you're like Doctor Who with a regeneration, just going like yeah. all the sun coming out. You going, please, just I swap a body just to have all my yeah. all my uh, my my social capital from making this face famous. I'll just get rid of it just to have to feel okay again. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we we're talking about the son of Sam. Uh, oh yeah, before we before we go on into into that, where can people find you? Where's your website? Where's your social? Because uh, they're obviously going to love you. Um, I am on Twitter, Instagram. It's all at Carl Donnelly, which is a C A R L D O W N E L Y. Website's carldonnelly.co.uk. And yeah, if, I, if, if anyone's at the fringe, I'm doing a show at the Counting House at six forty-five every night called Strictly Carl Donnelly. It's a terrible pun. That sort are, of you, works. are you on the front like, like this in, a, in one of these like? I'm, this I've actually my poster is based on the poster for the film Superfly, just because. Uh, oh, brilliant! Yeah, it's actually a really nice. It's a nicely designed poster version of Superfly, but in it, um, we've shrunk my head down a bit just to be a bit creepy. <laughs> but uh, Edinburgh poster game is is 
on fleek at the moment. The, the it, Photoshop it, I, levels are up. I take partly well, part responsibility for that. About about five years ago, my friend who's a graphic designer, we started doing really silly but really well designed posters, and then everyone started. You know, everyone's got a bit more professional about it. Yeah, exactly. And now there's a poster awards every year, and I, I'm saying that I caused all that. <laughs> They'll give you a slice of the Perrier just for that shit. I think should, you have they to. Should. They should. Um, so yeah, all of those links that Karen mentioned um, are all going to be in the description below. Whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on your podcast, the Earbox, uh, check out the description of the episode and click through for some Donnelly laughs. So, so yeah. Sam, this this lad is one of the weirdest, most egotistical, narcissistic. But simultaneously, shame-filled, guilt-ridden, I'll use the word again, uh, Jewy. You know, he has this whole, like, Jewish mother, oppressive, yet still, you know, in- intrinsically linked to his identity and his uh, ability to be able to love himself or not feel shit about every single thing he's done in his life. And I think that's what uh, Jewish people and Irish people definitely have in common. There's this Irish mammy syndrome. You're half Irish, aren't you, Cal? Yeah, my mum's Irish, yeah, so, so I you, grew up. You know. also, I've also been a serial killer since I was 12. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the crime that we weren't allowed to talk about on the podcast. It's, yeah. um, uh, I forgot it was all about me. Um, so many revelations here. You you have a partner, he's in Coldplay, you're a serial killer. <laughs> Fucking hell. This is going to be played back in a courtroom someplace at some point. Um, so, like, like... Irish people and Jewish people have that kind of Irish mammy thing where it's like oppressive but like very loving as well and it's you know yeah um I'm I'm, also, I'm all I, in your business but I just want you to do well yeah I also yeah. but I don't just think it's the mothers that do it I do think it's uh there's an like people talk about the English stiff upper lip and having grown up in England but with you know from an Irish family I've, I I think the Irish is way worse like I think. Yeah, the the inability to let any emotion out. I think it's probably getting better generationally now. But I do think you know, I look at my parents and I've, you know their their emotional capacity is really shit. And I think you know, maybe I think there is probably a similar that's probably from Irish Catholicism, maybe, and that's maybe yeah. just where the, that's why Jewish people have it as well. It's quite a sort of Guilty you know, it's it's a guilt ridden, yeah. Life. So you're you you have the the worst of both. So you have like the the unemotional stiff upper lip of the English, and then you also have the the emotional uh, guilt for any thoughts you may have. So you're like yeah, yeah, you're fucked, that's, double fucked. Yeah, I mean that's Terrible. why yeah, that's why I've had to go off and learn how to do things like meditation, and that's so I don't end up actually losing my mind. You know, my brother's yeah. my brother is he's my brother's into like he's a flat earther and stuff, which you know is. It's fascinating. It's not for me. I don't believe it. But like you know, he's. I it, can. You can. I think he's. I think that must come from the cope. fact our parents weren't particularly uh, giving with information and love that he's had to look elsewhere for the answers. It's it's just a way to cope. You know what I mean? He's looking. He's looking. Totally. He's looking somewhere else, trying to find uh, a, a reason why he never went on a holiday as a child. He's like, Mom, Mom we never did didn't bring me on holiday because the earth we is had- flat. We had to go to the west of Ireland for our whole summer holidays every year. It was shit and it rained. Yeah. So I think now he just, yeah, he's convinced the rest of the world doesn't exist. Like That's Australia. what I mean, yeah. He never went to Australia, so he just was like, <laughs> no, nah, m- my mum and dad weren't like cheap and mean and unemotional. The earth is flat. That's the best, that's the best way to decide. 
Um, <laughs> I, hope it, I hope it doesn't hear this. I'm not having a go. No, just we've just finished the Flat Earth episode, uh, like I recorded a couple of days ago, and it should be oh, out now as well. Oh, cool. <laughs> like, you know, I will talk about it another day. This is Son of Sam. Crazy yeah, shit, yeah. but but good crack. So, so Sam has this... Um, um, or David Berkowitz, Son of Sam, has this um, d- disassociative uh, c- kind of attitude towards women, towards the maternal thing. And always with these fucking guys, it's always something weird with the mother. Do you know? Looking at Andrei Chikatilo, who who was a Russian serial killer, they used to his ma used to bring he pissed the bed and his ma used to bring him out and get him to stretch his dick out and she'd bathe it with a bit of bamboo. Like you bald, dirty boy, like whipping his cock and you're like, What are you what are you gonna expect him to do with that later on? Yeah, like, that's yeah, not yeah. it's not stopping him pissing the bed. Um loads of loads of them, like they're all there was all something weird. So this whole uh, thing with David Berkowitz started because of his weird f- family issues and I didn't know any of this stuff coming up so no. what did you what did you know about son of sam like what was in the zeitgeist well i'll tell you the two things why one was the i most of it i knew from the film summer of sam the spike lee film that's sort of where i, I my, the idea of what actually happened came into my mind and then in terms of just from you know out in the ether the things you hear about these stories i always got this mixed up quite often with the zodiac killer yeah because they're really similar you know to the point that i think um that's I know. I have watched the odd weird documentary where this guy was interviewed, and you know, he there is uh, he's he's referenced certain like sort of satanic things, uh, and there's a few conspiracies yeah. knocking around that actually him and Zodiac were linked, and it was all you know linked to Manson and all that. You know, it's part of it's part of an ongoing uh, satanic serial killer agreement yes. or something. Yeah. So I'd heard that. So I knew that little part of it, and I knew you know, from the film Summer of Sam, just how scary it was for people in those um, suburbs in New York that were being affected. You know, it was a real, yeah. like, you know, batting down the hatches, scared to go out sort of, you know, some, wasn't it? The movie, the movie kind of puts that thing in where it's like New York was terrorized by the fear of murder in a very clo- closed-in space that has millions of people in it. Yeah. That anywhere you go at any point, someone could come out and shoot you. And I think it was... A, a reflection of like the general malaise in new york at the time because like we'd forget you know did you watch uh the get down did you watch that it's like the, no. there's like a, it's a drama on netflix uh like a, a comedy musical drama which is a bit of a stretch but it's uh, it's called the get down and it's kind of the origins of hip-hop in new york in the mid to late 70s and early 80s and it talks about you mm. know mc cool herc and it talks about uh what were those other guys? I can't even remember the names now. It had uh, some scenes of New York that looked really sketch, and there's like this, this political undertones where they're t- talking about like, you know, businessmen were coming in and buying up slums and areas that were really run down, uh, that were predominantly African American populated, and um, you know, taking people for everything they got, building massive high rises, and then charging loads of money. And then putting yeah, those yeah. people out of their homes, send them out to the suburbs. It was like a gentrification of downtown New York. So, like mm. at the time, you know, like the Warriors, you know, yeah, yeah, like yeah, this kind of shit was going on. Like there was gangs roaming the place, and it was, uh, it's been dramatized since. And probably, if anyone from New York is listening, you're like, you're not describing that right at all. But <laughs> I mean, like it, it, it was a, it was a time of um, fear generally, where you couldn't go out yeah. at night time. There was some shit going on, like taxi driver shit, like you're. You know, uh, uh, as uh, David Berkowitz says himself, like the, the streets smell like piss and blood and vomit and 
you know, it was a, it was a rough place to be at the best of times. And now yeah, yeah, yeah. you have fucking some some disaffected Jewish kid who just took it upon himself to go out and start executing people seemingly without you know yeah. any kind of discrimination there wasn't a, a motive it wasn't it was just fucking fear and i knew that from the movie but i'd watched the documentaries a long time ago and i never realized you know the way you hear like oh yeah he was told by the dog to do it and that was yeah no i never knew any of that sort of stuff i get i knew there was rough not you know it wasn't like a an exact um victim description but yeah because I, I think you know i've heard some theories on it that he or he like cause the, the a couple of the guys who were involved. You know, when it was like a couple in a car, uh, that um, they the guys had long hair. So there's a few. I know the police the girls uh, or it, yeah, because yeah, a couple. Some of the other ones he obviously attacked were two girls alone. So there's a theory I think that he was going for. You know, and that again ties in with the whole mother thing of, you know, if you're well, you're going for a certain type of young woman, I think. Somebody's You're, got some mummy issues. Yeah, his mummy was was of the same sort, and he was like, "I want to, I want to kill you to get revenge." Yeah. yeah, it seems it seems like for me as a young child, I remember hearing about Son of Sam, and it was like a a, de- a demonic possessed dog. He he was like schizophrenic or something like that, and he was told by the dog to kill these people. And I was like, "Yeah, I get it. It's just a crazy guy." And as we learn later on, it wasn't that he was so crazy; it was that he knew to say that to maybe garner like maybe public sympathy or because i never saw the videos of him roaring laughing and smiling giving evidence in court being like yeah and then i shot her like it was like <laughs> you know you want a fucking ribbon at sports day it just, it just he was so happy just to be having someone listen to him and get a bit of attention and now yeah. with my 30 my something cynicism hat on i'm like this cunt is there's a lot like the crazy runs deep yeah, but what you do? You suspect he was putting a lot of it on just to build a oh, sort yeah. of a character. Yeah, well, as we'll find out now, like we'll, we'll go through his 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 past more so as well. I like to do on these true crime episodes and yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of figure out like because you know you get torture porn and you get these fucking and he stood over there, his chest heaving <laughs> with a bloody knife as he carved her breasts, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but but why though? Why was he doing that? Yeah, so we like yeah, yeah. to uh, we like to look at those kind of things here and um, try and figure it out. And it's nearly always the mother. Chalk it down. Yeah. Um, so uh, to to get into it, then David Richard Berkowitz, born on the first of June, nineteen fifty three, and was adopted just three days after his birth uh, to the Berkowitz family, Nathan and Pearl Berkowitz, who were uh, you know a, a Jewish American couple living in the Bronx. They had no children, and they owned a hardware store, and they just wanted to start a family, and and you know bring up a kid and they ended up like rolling snake eyes in the old adoption agency I know, but that is, that's such a that's, i mean it's already a big enough risk i think having kids just yeah. even like i'm not saying if they're going to be a murderer but just i i always think how bad must it be to have a child raise them and then they turn out to be an asshole do you know what i mean that sort of <laughs> and they're not even about, yours so you're like you can't even go like yeah like, oh, we bloody got a free asshole down there do we keep the receipt i don't know it's, it, do, you, do you know what happened though it was a weird phenomenon the kids that were getting um adopted from uh romanian orphanages all through the 90s did you mm. hear what happened to those kids as they grew no. up so because they were so uh i guess neglected um through the ceausescu regime uh, there was these orphanages in in Romania and even in Moldova 
that were full of babies that had no communication skills even to the age of five or six they had like bone problems and growth problems hormone deficiencies as they hit puberty and um brain under development because they were just basically born put in a fucking cot maybe three or four in a cot uh, like an overfilled burrito and then they were just given like you know cow and gate sloppy baby food just so yeah. that they wouldn't die and then you see them and they get like whatever like you know uh, no education no interaction no stimulation no play there was no kind of you know love or any of that stuff given to them and then at five or three or four or five or six or seven or even as early as like one and a half or two so like that first six to eight months is like super important for oh, cognitive oh, development and all that kind of stuff and you have to be able to like recognize shapes and colors and the language centers start to build and they got none of that and then they were adopted out and then when all these kids started hitting puberty they went into like psycho mode they went into like uh you know sexual deviancy masturbating in public exposing themselves playing with feces uh started going into like screaming fits started showing signs of schizophrenia and all this kind of stuff because of these early developmental traumas so like mm. you can see that this whole thing for Berkowitz could definitely even as mild as it was as being like adopted but he was told you know his dad used to work six days a week he rarely saw his father his mother would give him you know some attention but was still a little bit like distant obviously didn't give him everything yeah, he wanted yeah. and there was that kind of you know malaise in the household and early in his life he was told that he was adopted and that his mother died in childbirth like real early yeah. and so have you ever he heard ha- that theory about the crime drop in america in the 90s in, sorry in new york new york in particular so you know you're saying about how um you know that sort of how dangerous it was and you know it was a, and then obviously in the 90s there was a zero tolerance uh, policy policing yes. yeah um and, and so that sort of was um what was the mayor at the time was it giuliani no it wasn't bloomberg then was it but um basically they take they take credit for it saying it was zero tolerance that just totally you know dr- dropped crime down to an incredibly low a, level in comparison there's a theory there's a cop on every corner yeah, but there's a there's a really interesting theory that um, talks about the age um, of sort of you know most criminals when they get into criminal activity. If you, if you sort of trace it back uh, and look at when abortion was legalized, it basically they reckon there's a theory that um, the people that basically wouldn't have been able to get an abortion from very low income, difficult situations, would have had those kids. They would have been raised in a situation that had much more chance of them going into crime. So it basically just making abortion illegal wiped out a generation of potential criminals. Wow. Yeah, so there's, a, there's some great articles about it. It's really fascinating. And that sort of talks... So you look at New York, essentially, it was an area where, you know, abortion was quite heavily used by the socioeconomic group that were, would have been most likely to go on to become criminals. It's, it's crazy, but it's a really that's, interesting one. That's a, that's a like, crazy, contentious... Point. I, I get. Oh, yeah, I, look, I just thought sort of Rudy Giuliani was the the zero tolerance <laughs> yeah. guy, but um, yeah. the, the abortion thing. Like, think about the people that are living in New York. Like, you've got Italians, you've got Jews, you've got Irish, um, very religious, very devout, and obviously yeah. a lot of them wouldn't be up for abortion. And Roe v. Wade nah. coming in ch- changed a lot of that. Do you yeah. think that in a few years' time to be a lot less criminal activity in Ireland now that? You know the abortion referendum has has passed over the last little while. Is there a lot? Of, is there a lot of crime? I mean, there's a lot of um, 
not Limerick crime. gangs I've heard about. Ah, no, they're not really. They're you know. <laughs> shooting each other in the town square every two days. Yeah, I think there's a different type of uh, uh, cleansing needed for that type of thing. But no, I think for 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 the ge- like, there's a social problem here in Ireland at the moment with like young people that are special needs. They have they have uh, like underdeveloped uh, uh, home lives that they end up having to go into social care. There's a lot of stuff here with a lot of kids. Like they're not turning into serial killers. They're not fucking, you know, uh, uh, crazy social outcasts, or they're not fucking deviants or anything. But there's a lot of people who are not living their best life and not able yeah. to ride up to a certain age. And a lot of people are saying like, "Yeah, but they should still get the chance at life." And I'm like, "Yeah, but if you've a load of people on heroin and they're just like banging out the kids, and then social services are coming and taking the kids off them." Surely they shouldn't be allowed to be having those kids. It's not, do you know? Yeah, it's a difficult one. What's the air? There's no real solution that isn't doesn't get into, you know, some sort of eugenics program. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's 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 a slippery slope. I think <laughs> that's where we're going. This whole New York one that I read is much more of a, an accidental or side effect of something, and it's not. It was just a, it's one theory that I've read two articles about that I found it an interesting opinion that. But it could ultimately be total bollocks, couldn't it? Yeah, well, I'm going to go look into it further now that you mentioned it. Like, mm. I just saw there's a, the consequences of zero zero tolerance. There's a few articles up there. So I am going to go look. But cool. it does sound like an accidental experiment that's shown a positive case. Exactly. Sometimes, see you know, what happens. But, positives but, come out of negatives. Not yeah, exactly. Negative. But for David, uh, he, he, like, he got that trauma being told very early that he was adopted and... I mean, imagine being told that you, you killed your mother in childbirth at like five when you just realized what, what that age is. he was. F- around four out. or five. When they told him. That's what I was reading. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Ooh, but... see, that's, that's a bit young, isn't it? Let him get young. to 11 or something. He was being bullied in school, you see, because it was found out that he was adopted. And um, there were, you know, he treated his parents real poorly for the time after he found out the news and he'd act out and try and get his mother's attention to be throwing plates and you know like not smearing shit on the walls but everything but and his dad wasn't there his dad worked seven days a week so like he he didn't have any support for this whole time and then when he was in school he was you know he was becoming a bully to the people he could bully. Yeah, yeah. I heard the word arson thrown around about him in his teens. He was a fire. That's always a bad. Yeah. I mean, that's always a, that's always a bad sign. <laughs> it's arson, yeah. setting small fires, and killing small animals. They're the animals. They absolutely, yeah. It's, um... So if you see him choking his chicken, like make sure call somebody. And they tried. They brought him. They brought him to a psychotherapist. Consulted a psychotherapist and said, "Look, this behavior is unacceptable," but it never you know re- resulted in any repercussions or recrimination even though he was doing small like petty misdemeanors that were they should have been watched but weren't and then the bullies in school were going like uh he's not a real boy and in all the documentaries i watched looking up for this all of them mentioned this like pinocchio syndrome where he felt that he wasn't legitimate like not yeah, only yeah. being being given up for adoption possibly you know because he was a bastard child He's already had rejection from his original mother, and now he's not getting the attention from his father, who's out at work. So it's like all this rejection, shame, guilt, all funneled into this one kid before he's even left school. Like, that's bananas. What do you think of the Pinocchio syndrome thing? 
Well, yeah, it's an interesting one. I've never heard that phrase before. It's um, it makes sense. I think. I mean, there must be. I know people that have that are adopted, and it, yeah, it, I think it differs from person to person. I know some people that adopted who genuinely couldn't give a shit. I know it sounds mad because it's such yeah. a big thing, but I think they just have that that weird capacity to not care about where they come from. And I think some people just have the opposite. Some people obsess about it. You know, I mean, I've, I've done it. I've, I'm quite prone to. You know, just looking at not so much anymore, but I used to be really negative about my childhood, and I, just, I was constantly looking back, trying to work out why I was the way I was. And actually, it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you keep obsessing about where you're from, you're going to ultimately um, stress yourself out, aren't you? Make it worse. Whereas well, you're you're occluding you... your future and wrecking your present by worrying about the well, yeah, stuff of the past. You know, exactly. So actually, and then, I and then all of a sudden, totally your present that. becomes looking back in the past, and your future is like forever. Then destined to be looking back. I think comedy yeah. is a great way to get away from that sort of stuff. And I find a lot of comedians would be. Um, Broken people, let's say. <laughs> Murderers. Something, would be yeah. shooting people in parked cars. I mean, like a few bad jokes is not as, is not as serious no, as shooting. I definitely off. think it. And it also, if you're the sort of person who didn't get enough attention when you were a child, <laughs> a.k.a. me, yeah, I, uh, I do think getting it off a room of strangers, and even if sometimes you don't get it fully off a room of strangers, uh, a bad gig, I do think it must, I reckon there must be some empty part of me that I need to fill with the what I deem the love of strangers because I didn't feel like I got enough of it from my parents. Yeah, it's weird. You want to watch so what we're saying the, is, next, this the next? Son of Sam should have become a stand-up comedian. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, he was in New York in this in the late seventies. Oh. He could have been a Lenny Bruce, you know. Like <laughs> he just missed his. Day. He missed his. He could have got in just before the sort of Seinfeld boom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dead. Um, yeah, I think. What's with all of these people dying in cars? <laughs> you, hey, have you heard about Comedians this? Comedians in cars yeah. getting have shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fucked up, man. It's fucked up. I know. Like the attention and learning all of that stuff, like, could really fuck with your head. So he was so desperate for his mother's attention. Get this one: that he killed her pet parakeet. Did you hear about this shit? Did you hear about <laughs> this? You heard about this? Did you heard about this? So this guy. I mean. I- Terrible. And I mean, killing animals is always a sign. Well, killing it, your mum's pets. That is, there's definitely levels of like killing a, you know, a, a weird stray cat in the area is bad. And I, you know, I think it's horrible, but. Squir- you killing a of, squirrel is like, yeah, you're, it's pest control. Yeah. But actually taking your, killing your mother's pet, that if ever there's a sign that you're looking for her attention, you know, yeah. that's about as big a one as you can give her, isn't it? It was it was alleged that like she used to talk to the pigeon, talk to the parakeet, and be, talk to the pigeon. Ooh, <laughs> let me out, will you? Um, talk Sounds to the parakeet. Like Euphemism for someone else, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. She's off talking to the pigeon, mate. <laughs> um, yeah, just it, like it was a pest that she used to talk to and give it attention. And oh, little David is... is looking there, going, "She never talks to me like that." And then just like yeah. one day, Polly Polly got a cracker, you know, and that was the end of it. <laughs> Do we know how he? Um, do we know how he did the deed or not? I really hope it's like he just like smothered it or broke its neck. Like he didn't finger it to death or anything weird like that. Uh, yeah, yeah I hope it was. Uh, yeah, as you know, pain free as possible for the yeah. poor. 
pigeon. Yeah, vegans. <laughs> um, exactly. <laughs> another another incident that shows David's, I guess, disdain and simultaneous like yearning for his mother's love and disdain for, I guess, not fulfilling everything that he wanted uh, was one day, and you can imagine then the compounded guilt, Carl, from this. One day they were having a big fight and he screamed at her, I hate you, I hope you die. And then she went out for that night, out to dinner, and she collapsed at dinner, and she died. That is... See, that sounds not true. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, do you know what I mean? Does it not sound a little bit like that could be an exaggeration on what happened? Yeah. Uh, she had breast cancer. And I mean, that's not an exaggeration, but I mean, the, no, the, but timing, she, time, the time scale of that could have been, he could have yeah. shouted it and a week later she died. A month exactly, later. but it's really nice for a true crime kind of documentary. Yeah. To be like, <laughs> and then he said, I hate you, I hope you die that evening. Dun, dun, dun. Like it doesn't. Do yeah. It. So but even, uh, then, even, but even if you said that once. Yeah, and ten years later, your mum dies. You're in your guilt going to think, "Well, I caused that." Of course, but it was just so happens that that night, uh, she was hiding breast cancer from the entire family. So again, entire know, family. Uh, she hadn't even told the dad. No lies, deceit, oh all God, this stuff. Is... She'd hidden hidden breast cancer from the whole family. Went into a coma that night and survived for a a, a, a time. Like you said, it's probably, you know, it's more dramatic yeah, yeah, to yeah. say, like, immediately exploded from cancer. <laughs> and um, she was out in a restaurant, took a bad turn, went into a coma and died sometime later. And he carried that guilt around, obviously. Well, and to him days. now, he thinks he's killed two mums. That is, he's essentially a mum serial killer already. Yeah, mumicide. <laughs> he was on, hey, I'm, I'm Chaplowski from Mumicide. Uh, these guys, these guys, would you like a pie? No, these guys are like he's he's killed two people, so you can you can box off in your head how he can then justify killing more people later on. Well, yeah, I like, mean he's killed the two most important people in his life, essentially. So yeah. yeah, absolutely, you could understand that to him these strangers later in life who would represent you know maybe his first mum. You know, his birth mum, yeah, you could see that maybe their lives in his mind didn't mean as much as the two people he'd killed accidentally. Yeah, it's fucked. Yeah, it is. He he grew up his whole adolescence then, no mum, his dad was very distant, working all the time, uh, and just wanted him just to be a functional human, just fuck off, leave me alone. A lot of dads were like that at the time, 70s, 80s. We watched The Wonder Years, and we we, we know the crack. (laughs) Just like, yeah. huh? huh? Mm. And then, like, reluctantly give you some kind of, you know, uh, an emotional connection, like, once a year instead of a Christmas present or whatever. Um, so at 17, David Berkowitz is like, fuck this. I want to die for my country. I want to die, first of all, I think, was probably the main motivation. Yeah. Um, I may be wrong. And second of all, he's like, I want to die as a patriot for America. I want to join the army and die in Vietnam because he like at the time you're talking um, Vietnam is all over the the TV, a lot of, you know, uh, uh, protests against it. And then a lot of obviously patriotism. You're talking Johnson, Nixon, the whole thing is being promoted to a certain demographic who will, as with any war, go out and fight uh, for their country to be, you know, a little bit of a hero support. You know, 
I'm all I'm all about the troops, man. Like you do what you want. It's the it's the armies, it's the yeah, it's yeah. the attacks on the country. Like the people who are in the armies are just you doing their job. And this guy yeah. wanted to do that. Do you also think he was looking for say yeah even though this is just getting into the psychology of it about you know if his dist- a distant father didn't yeah. really give him a lot of advice maybe a lot of guidance looking for a very male centric you know sort of hierarchical system to enter where he's going to get bossed around by a big strong guy he needs control he needs a father figure he needs companionship he needs fraternity and brotherhood and belonging that the likes of the army or the freemasons or you know your your local lodge or you know uh, uh the, the the comedy community oh, that's a joke they're absolutely not supportive but <laughs> you know the, these <laughs> it's like some weird anti anti masonry guys it's all like uh, <laughs> give me a secret handshake and i'll tell you you're a prick um so <laughs> <laughs> so it just seems that like he wanted to move into that structure and also die because he was like fuck this horrifically depressed yeah. and later on he go through bouts of mania and depression probably because of some like personality disorder some kind of borderline thing and he went to join the army and they sent him to korea instead Do yeah you know? that is um that's a bad you know if you're looking for if you're looking to die in a blaze of glory yeah and or kill a lot of people fought. in a blaze of glory. He wanted to go yeah. to Vietnam and kill indiscriminately, as some did. Uh, and he ended up getting sent to Korea, which wasn't in conflict at the time. And it was just maybe like peacekeeping <laughs> stuff. And he was yeah. like, bollocks. So he trained. He ended up becoming a, a marksman uh, for the army with an M16 rifle. So he was yeah. he was like a good shot. Yeah. And the whole time he was there he's like i thought i was going to be coming over here to kill vietnamese and then die in a blaze of glory and he started writing letters to his dad and this was like his emotional outcry he felt so far away he didn't get what he wanted and he was writing letters to his dad saying he you know he was Ill- he felt illegitimate he felt broken he felt ugly he used to call himself uh Deschmutz, which is like uh yiddish for the disgusting one or one who is disgusting so he was this whole you know the self-loathing and it comes with yeah. like the, that whole kind of irish jewish kind of you know the way um yeah, i don't yeah. know if you if you if you knew irish if your man taught you any irish but like uh the irish for masturbation translates into english as self-pollution Right. So you're, <laughs> you're literally yeah. polluting yourself if you touch yeah. your money. So it's all of this guilt. It's the opposite. It's sort of cleaning out the pipes. I think <laughs> so. I think it's a cleansing yeah. thing. Um, um, just, but I like that. But just having a name for him. almost. <laughs> that, it almost feels like he was already starting to create a character, you know, yeah. around himself, you know, create the sort of myth that maybe he didn't even realize he was doing it. If obviously, he's manic and he's... Yeah, I think he's, he's 18, but... Sp- when you're when you're Fine. manic like that, when you're manic like that, like I go through phases of mania and depression, like uh, like reasonably mild, but I know that w- as that levels up, you do end up going into like massive false realities and creating like alternate uh, alternate uh, uh, memories of history, and you change your past and you tell massive lies, and it ends up yeah, yeah, yeah. bigger and bigger and bigger. So yeah, maybe he was not planning to kill then, but like inadvertently just, just creating. Off creating the monster yeah maybe the monster was there he was just finding the monster do you know well that's it yeah yeah i never know it might be in split personality or something yeah it was it's a lot of we don't know we're, we're no you know sort of weekend psychologists really yeah 
<laughs> armchair it's happening um well we're, we're, like we're a few psychology books <laughs> now let's talk for an hour about our theories on this I've man's heard, mental health yes i've heard of i've heard a podcast <laughs> or two uh, about <laughs> mental health the the uh the army didn't like him didn't want him he was a bold pup he was yeah. discharged honorably but discharged for uh, discipline problems he wasn't following orders he wasn't getting up in the morning he wasn't he wasn't doing right. He was having personal problems with his, his army mates. And the family that he went in looking for, he didn't really find the fraternity he didn't get. And um, he ended up coming back to New York. And then, you know, he blames, uh, later on in Berkowitz, in interviews, blames this period of his life and the fact that all through his teenage and even, like, you know, uh, late childhood, like 8, 9, 10, he was watching horror movies on TV because he was left at home a lot on his own. And watching these horror films and he blames that for the influence on his behavior and possibly the reasons behind his killing spree watching stuff like you know texas chainsaw massacre and it's the same as we learned from yeah. our ted bundy episode of like ted bundy in his last interviews blamed pornography for his crazily uh, disgusting sexual acts like having sex with dead bodies and like k- killing someone, raping and burying them, going back later on, digging out the body and having sex with like the decomposing body, like all of that stuff he blames on watching too much porn. And I think right. it was just a handy thing because at the time, well, it's the chicken and egg thing, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but society <laughs> at the time was hammering porn into like into submission. They were because it was coming out on VCR at the time, and it was much more prolific. And there was movements in government against pornography and ted bundy went like okay i'll jump on that like like he was clever like so i think maybe later on this is a retconning from berkowitz to say uh yeah yeah it was like scary movies yeah i watched i'm a massive horror fan so i watched a lot of them from a very young age having an older brother meant i could you know he'd get him for me and stuff and yeah i can safely say it didn't turn me into a uh you know a psycho killer (laughs) yeah but it polluted your mind a little bit like changed you into Oh yeah, I mean, but yeah, I think, but I still love horror films. I still get scared of them. I treat, I see them for what they are. They are a fantasy of sure. You know, I like being scared. Yeah. I like the, I like the feeling of being scared. I don't take any joy in watching something horrible happen in them. I find that actually really terrifying. That's why but, I love them. They almost take me back to being a twelve-year-old. That's the thing. The that's what you're looking for. You're looking for that, like that fright. And uh, I think some of the modern horror movies are maybe looking into more the psychological and more the. The deep yeah, and dark. Yeah. It's gone from this slasher gore, like jump scare stuff, into more psychological horror. But at the time, it was as graphic as it could be. Like when you're seeing somebody getting their head yeah. chopped off in a movie, that's like I've never seen that shit before. Now you can go on YouTube and watch a hundred of it in real life. Like you know, it's just um, at the time it kind of fucked him up. So after he came back from Korea, he found out from his dad, from Nathan, that his mother was alive after all can you imagine yeah, that shit yeah. his original man was I mean, alive after all fucking, yeah. it's um and also what did i read somewhere that he was discharged from the army as well yeah he got discharged dishonorably or honorably discharged for uh, honorably what's yeah, that honorably what's, what's that mean i know dishonorably, dishonorably is like, like get back out what's honorably how can you be honorably discharged that you can say that you were part of the, you know, you, you can wear your medals, you can wear a uniform, you can attend okay. like veterans association stuff, you can get benefits like uh, uh, ex-veterans. Like redundancy benefits. rather than being fired. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so honorably okay. so even then, But even then he's been pushed rather than... 
yeah, so well, he's he, been abandoned essentially issues. again by another family. Exactly. And then he right. went into this. He came home feeling fucking dejected. He's like not even 20 yet. He's going to these uh, adoption like adoption child group so if you were an adopted child it's like an AA meeting and you go sit around and go like I feel like I was abandoned and everyone's like oh so do I and y'all you know come together uh, in a in a um, that's really disparaging against adopted people I don't know why I made a whingy voice but they all come together and And this is probably a better move for him than like going straight into just murdering people that look like his mother. <laughs> yeah, I'd argue that first if steps. anyone out there is struggling, I would advise you go to an adoption group first. This is actually a good move of his. I was just using it as a as a as a narrative. Uh, as oh, a these moaning moaning adoptees. Yeah, going like I've no mammy boo. <laughs> um, so he went to this group, but the reason I'm using that is because. The way the story is told, I mean, I know it's coming from Berkowitz, but the way the story is told, he says that he went into this group and he is like, I just found out. He got introduced to all these people and they're like, well, maybe you should look because there's a lot of us that were adopted and were told that our mothers died in childbirth. And then we actually went looking it up and found out that they weren't dead. And then he went and found out that she wasn't dead and he came back and he's roaring, crying at these support groups. And they're all like laughing at him that's what he quoted laughing at him and saying that's always the way man we all have had that story stop you know get over it get get on with your life and maybe not in a whingy way i don't know but he confronted his father and said did you like is my mother alive and nathan his father fessed up and said yeah his stepfather said yeah okay fuck it yeah we got you off some woman uptown and gave him all the details and it turned out her name is betty falco and uh, she was uh, living up uptown. Uh, Betty, um, after a few meetings, she disclosed, yeah, I'm your real birth mother. And Betty and her husband, Tony, had given up the then-named Richard David Falco for adoption uh, on the day of his birth. And three days later, he was found at home. So they lived in New York as well. And it was this whole, like, hidden life that Berkowitz didn't know he had. The guilt was then alleviated, yeah. everything left him. He was like, brilliant, this is, you know, uh, um, like my own mother has died, but I have my birth mother and I can, f- I may be able to have a family again. And then in some cruel, weird twist of, uh, uh, you know, universal irony, finds out that this whole life of living in guilt and shame that, that he was relieved of now, he met her and he said she was a weak and small woman. That's his quote. That she right. was sad, she cried when she saw him, she had this squeaky voice, and in um, interviews, they say that when he does impressions of her, he holds his hands over his ears as if to not remember how she sounds, really pathetic and, and you know, uh, reaching. Yeah. And she found he found out from Betty that her husband, Tony, was not his real father. So he thought for a while, oh, I found my real father, Tony Falco, wasn't actually... Yeah. She then confessed, I was having an affair with a man called Joseph Kleinman, who had three daughters for another woman and a marriage and all that stuff. So they were having an affair, extramarital affair. And Kleinman yeah. said to Betty, I'm not having another baby, especially for my mistress. Give that up for, for adoption because there was an abortion at the time. Right. So to be like kicked out of the army, to come back, to find out you have a mother, you're like, yeah. And then be told, actually, you're a bastard. You don't have yeah, a real father. Yeah. Your father didn't want you. And then your mother actually gave you up for adoption because she didn't want you. Like, that is... Yeah. It also sounds like he, you know, he'd obviously 
wanted a certain thing. Yeah, he, when he met his birth mother, he was obviously expecting some. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what he was looking for, but obviously the way he describes her sounds like it, it would have been impossible for her to live up to his expectations. And yeah, she had to be this big, big. You know, obviously, I mean, she, you, you, most people I think would assume warm-ups. she would have been maybe troubled to have to give up the child and all that. Yeah, but he wanted her to just be some big, strong matriarch or something, and it just. Yeah, it was always doomed for failure, I think that was. Yeah. Well, the roller coaster of emotion, uh, shame, regret, and then relief, and then followed by more regret and shame and all this stuff. This could have forced David out into the streets of New York because then at this point, living in New York, living at home, he starts becoming this alley cat Berkowitz. uh, We saw this with the likes of Joseph Fritzl and with uh, Ted Bundy, where they would go out at night time, They'd maybe be looking in windows and having an old wank, um, you know, like kicking cats and setting little fires and doing kind of weird stuff. And he may have set that whole uh, brunette, sh- shoulder hair brunette, I guess penchant, peccadillo that he had for the victims. So as a young kid, he was full of disgust for himself and he'd roam the streets and, and do all this stuff as well, like kicking cans and doing whatever. And when he came back from Korea... He started doing it again after finding out about his mother. He, he has been reported at his bar mitzvah at 13. He said he was disgusted with himself. He, and he is quoted to say he wasn't a good Jew because he didn't follow the law and he hated his family. So it's just guilt and guilt yeah. and guilt and shame and guilt and guilt, right? So after coming from home from the war, he found a solace in the adoption group. He found out that nothing, none of these fraternal organizations, none of the families that he thought were, were his turned out to be real all the narratives that he'd maybe constructed in his head you know the way car when you're like you're expecting something you're hoping for something and then you hope against hope and you finally get the realization of it and it's not what you expected there is a little bit of disappointment yeah. but there maybe is some solace to it i've had it a lot in my life yeah i think and again it's tough there's two ways you can go with it and one is to realize that your expectations probably weren't realistic or to know that you shouldn't you should never over expect but I think this sounds like he did, right, he used to blame himself. It's all guilt, me, I'm the problem. And then there was a, it feels like there was a moment where he snapped and suddenly it was someone else's fault and that's time to, yeah. you know. Well, age is usually a thing for that. Like I found it in my, in my late teens and early 20s that I, I did expect an awful lot from the rest of the world. But I also got out and fucking shook my arse. I hustled. I did my shit. But people didn't, you know, and there's lessons that I was learning right into my late 20s and even early 30s. Like there's this new thing mm-hmm. where you have to manage your expectations. You have to make sure that you're not setting yourself up for disappointment. But yeah, poor, yeah. Old, poor old Dahi Berkowitz ended up building up a life for himself that could that never have been, been like. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, in, in, this, in the eternal uh, Son of Sam search for fraternity, for family, for the familiar. He ended up joining a satanic cult that he, he claims himself at this point. Um, they congregate in New York and they got into some mind-bending drugs. Uh, you know, uh, can you dig it? Like this kind of stuff. <laughs> and uh, they got into like mad sex parties. And he said himself that he made a blood pact with the devil. And he recalls and recants in his interview, I'm sure you've seen it, that he was shouting for the devil to come and inhabit his body. And uh, like, I am your vessel and take this over. And... It sounded like maybe a little bit that he was trying to shift away the blame from killing those people. What do you think? Oh yeah, definitely. I think, um, and also, 
as you like you say, you said there was probably some hallucinogenic, the hallucinogenic time, wasn't it? There was a lot of people. If you take, imagine, imagine being around when sort of psychedelic starts. It's the first started knocking around, yeah. and you had the sort of you had the West Coast Timothy Leary crew all taking it in nice controlled environments and treating it as a way of contacting your eternal self, whatever. And then you've got he meets up with a bunch of people who are in a park saying like, you know, we're going to contact the devil. Yeah. It's all about sentence. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he took some acid and, in that setting, believed that maybe he was inhabited by the devil. I mean, I've done enough hallucinogens in the past to know that you can experience some things that feel very real when you're on them. But you've also got to have the state of mind to afterwards realize what right, what was real, what wasn't, and what where did yeah, that or, come from? Or, or, or have someone with you at the time who's like set and setting is probably the most important part with hallucinogenics. I've been told. And I'd you ask, have someone I'd who's guiding you, you through. Like, you're in a park, no. and people are people are like, <laughs> do that. Do that scene in Dragnet. Do you know that in with uh, yeah, Dan yeah, 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 and yeah. Tom Hanks, and they have all the yeah, fucking the fire pit, the fire pit, and the, and the virgin <laughs> in the snake with the in the pot, the fucking pool with the snakes, and the lads with the fur on their the 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 goat yeah. skin chaps and all. Like that's a fucking crazy place to be taking drugs. At the same time yeah, as well. We learned from our Jim Morrison episode that uh, Paris and New York were now the mecca for this new drug that was really coming along called heroin. And there yeah. definitely could have been some some sorts of uh, uh, heroin. Um, cocaine was also a big thing. So like between the acid culture leaking over from the West, Satanism, heroin and coke, like he was probably fucking drug, a drug adult spastic. I mean, he would definitely was, you know, he was in a bit of a melting pot of bad influences. For, and if somebody is, you know, sort of mentally unstable and looking to do something extreme to yeah, take out their guilt or what they, you know, their ex-guilt on other people, then, you know, this felt like a recipe for disaster, isn't it? Well, with all of that stuff, like all the satanic stuff all running around his head, this growing desire to do harm, eventually it took him over and he tried to, he started roaming the streets at night. Uh, you know, as a young adult, he's in his, in his late teens, early 20s, and he's, he's roaming the streets. He's imagined killing and hurting women. He says later on that he despised women. He hated women, especially sexy women or women that were out there doing, you know, uh, dancing was a big thing. He said if he saw women dancing, he'd be like, you're fucking dead, bitch. Because it was this uh, a guilt again then with the sexual association. And presumably he wasn't going out with girls. He wasn't getting his fucking knob sucked. So he didn't have those kind of releases. And he ended up being yeah, well, this they're, big... They're sexual... Yeah, he's sexually frustrated. He sure. is... His mum was... A, in his mind, his mum's a mistress. Somebody who sees, sees his girls out dancing and yeah. enjoying them. So he, he, that is, he's seeing, you know... He's 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 making a lot of mental leaps in his mind that these women are the embodiment of his mum, who he probably wasn't too yeah you know, he probably didn't have too much respect for because in his mind she did something wrong or you know she was probably young and you know doe-eyed with a, a, a handsome rich father of three you know he, he can't get his head around that so it's just these women are the now become Listen yeah everything that's everything that he has caused him to come to this point they are it yeah i mean they embody yeah. it shit crack well 
He promised after learning about his other family and learning about his other half sisters, he met some of them and their kids and he went, okay, look, I promise I'm not going to kill them or anyone in my family or my real mother. But what I will do now is turn my anger outwards and go and kill some randomers. So he began getting violent and he attempted his first murder on Christmas Eve in 1975 when he used a hunting knife to try and stab two women. Uh, Michelle Foreman was the only one identified of the two and she said that her winter coat saved her life when Berkowitz tried to stab her. He couldn't get around and she wrapped a knife around with one of the sleeves and, or one of the flaps on the side of the coat and it was only later on when she was given the photo fit which ended up being shite uh, to the cops that she was saying like you know he, he came at me he tried to stab me he couldn't get me and he slashed the other girl and nobody knew that this was Berkowitz at the time but he confessed to that crime yeah. later on as his first kind of dalliance with murder and I think this was probably the point when he decided I'm not going to use a knife I'm probably going to use a gun and being a marksman from the army that he was well used to firearms so he was living at home he was living in his, his father Nathan's house they were sharing a house and he said he was being kept awake by barking dogs so he relocated got a new place a new apartment in Yonkers in New York and this is the center of where he did all of his yeah. bad stuff and he said he was kept up at night often by barking dogs. Now, yeah, it sounds like, you know. That, that hadn't been refuted, but maybe that goes along with the whole Son of Sam thing where the dogs yeah. were Yeah. It's weird that he had that issue with his dad's and then he's had it here. It's a bit of a coincidence, isn't it? Yeah. I feel like maybe maybe it was one of them and he's just built the... No, it was the, it's, he's trying to, again, you're like, like you said earlier, he's trying to defer blame onto something yeah. else a lot of these a lot of these bits of information are coming from interviews with him himself so he gets to write his own story do you mm. know so it seems like do we believe him he he had insomnia obviously he he used to spend his nights as a taxi driver and his days as a, a as a post office worker and he said yeah, sometimes yeah. at night because he was quote-unquote kept up by the dogs he he just walked the streets at night and he couldn't sleep sometimes he drove the taxi down to the beach and he'd try and sleep in the car on the beach I, I think he was suffering from some sort of a, a you know, a, a mental disorder that kept him in, in anxiety, or, anxiety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that further led into bad behavior because, you know, lack of sleep is obviously going to be detrimental to your physical and mental health. Yeah, definitely. And have you ever seen the Seinfeld episode, isn't there, when, um, is it George? Who is it? Somebody, yeah, and starts working in the mailroom or the, the post office and he gets given... Isn't it um, Son of Sam's post sack? I think there's a yeah. I think there's an episode. Oh really? <laughs> I'm sure there is. I'll have to check. But um, it's referenced. Yeah. Jesus, is that the thing? Is that the thing where you get like going postal? That's obviously somebody I'm else. That's another it. murderer. But yeah, somebody definitely. Else around, um, yeah. But I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it's referenced in Seinfeld in quite a funny way. Well, he he ended up trying to go get this gun. Uh, to try and shoot all these people because having a knife was a load of shite. So he got an old army buddy to bring a gun shop in uptown and he got this uh, sketchy Bulldog 44 caliber pistol, uh, which wasn't a super common gun. It wasn't any Smith & Wesson around that was all around. And he used this in all of these shootings and he got the nickname the 44 caliber killer until the time he identified mm. himself as the son of Sam. So the first shooting was in the Bronx and uh, Donna Lauria, 18, and her friend Jolie Valenti, 18, were st- uh, they were sitting in their car after a disco, and Berkowitz rolled past in the car, saw the two of them sitting there, drove past, went, hmm, pulled in a couple of blocks ahead, walked back, and then just opened fire in through the window. Now, yeah. 
he they killed survived. Oh, one yeah, did he, one he, get he, shot in the leg one. Yeah, yeah, Jody Valenti got shot in the leg and Donna Lauria died. And right. he said this was the thing that made him. He stood there frozen and he had, in his own words, not a sexual orgasm, but a mental one. And he stared there until Valenti then slammed on the horn, started beeping for people, screaming for people to come down. And yeah. Berkowitz ran off to the car. And then uh, uh, Laurie's dad came down and, he, like, you know, the the the, the Pieta, you know, like holding the holding his, his dying daughter in, in, in his arms, like screaming for the cops and all this stuff. And this was a scene that Berkowitz said he replayed over and over in his head. I don't know if he got sexual mm. gratification or satisfaction from it. Like... It's something like to just roll up on a on two girls in a car and just open fire for no reason. Yeah, I like, mean, what, what, and that is that, that's exactly that's the scariest thing, I suppose, is that you know the, when they tell that story to the police and when that gets around, the fact that that's why I think it became such a terrifying thing for locals and that there was no provocation, nothing. It was yeah, they, they didn't know anything about any trend of who it could be, anyone sitting in a car. I, that's, I saw, I watched a documentary where they interviewed just people that in, living in the area and they all said, I no longer just, I no longer sit in my car. Yeah. No, they're, they're, afraid. They're, they're afraid to wait outside their friend's house. So that, that, it's such a simple thing that it must have just been, would have gotten everyone. Well, Carl so, so, yeah, De Niro, people's behavior. Yeah, changed the whole city's behavior. Carl De Niro yeah, yeah. T- was 20 and Rosemary Keenan, who was 18, were the next victims in October 1976. And that was the first set of a, a, a stream of bungled murder attempts that Berkowitz yeah. tried to perpetuate. He wasn't this fully confident. Guy, he got shot in the head, though, didn't he? Yeah, he got shot Denaro in the head. And he yeah. ended up with, he, a, with a plate in his head. Yeah, but he still managed to drive off. It's pretty, the interview with this, I've seen interviews with this guy. He's pretty cool, man. He's pretty like... Yeah. Yeah, it's really matter of fact about it. Yeah. Just like he said, he didn't know he'd been shot. He thought somebody had just smashed the window, so he just knuckled down, drove off, yeah. and realized he'd been shot in the head. Like, some New York, some just hard New York lad like, going, "Yo, I was just driving my car, and then this fat Jewish guy rolled up, shot me. I was like, yo, whatever, <laughs> out.'" <laughs> got a fucking plate in his head, and uh, Rosemary Keenan got a, a, a couple of shots to the body and one to the leg, and yeah. I think maybe Berkowitz wasn't fully confident in what he was doing. Even though he's a marksman, he was going up and shooting people in cars, right? So when he was shooting, yeah. the the bullets were going through metal, going through glass, and then through flesh and then through bone. So they were obviously smashing into tiny bits, so they couldn't be positively identified as forty four caliber and definitely not being able to match to the same gun because you know the way you have to have the barrel stuff and it has the scrapes along the side. We've seen the CSI, how it works. Yeah. So the next one... That, that, Real, yeah, Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 3D job. Yeah, but Donna Damasi, such an impossible thing. Yeah, it's it's like putting a mobile phone in the building and then it goes boom, it scans the whole building. Yeah, like, yeah. Could they do that? Maybe they can. But Donna Damasi was 16 years of age, and Joanne Lamino, who was 18, sitting on the front porch. This is out of character for him. Sitting on the front porch when a man in army fatigues walked up and asked for directions in a weird, high pitched voice. And just before he finished asking, they looked over and he pulled out a revolver and then just sprayed the whole uh, barrel into the house and into the girls. Now, he hit Mm. Damasi in the neck. She didn't die. And he hit Lamino in the back and in the lower back. And she didn't die, but Lamino was paralyzed from from the waist down from then on. So this was like, 
a further disappointment for Berkowitz. He was getting, he was going out in these shootings, doing this stuff, and still not killing people. He still wasn't getting the the thing that he wanted or needed. Yeah. And then finally, finally, uh, Virginia Voskarishian, who was a 19-year-old Bulgarian student who had just recently got U.S. citizenship, and she was studying at Columbia University, was walking home and she had her school books and he jumped out and at point blank held the gun up to her face and she went ah! and put the books up and he shot her through the books into the head but because I hit the books first the bullet retained its uh, uh, yeah. shape and it was this point that they were able to identify it's coming from a 44 gun and at a, a press conference on the 10th of March in 1977 the NYPD said it's lads shooting lads with a 44 caliber gun and they called him the forty-four caliber killer that day. I also think there was, and from this documentary I saw, there was. Um, I think this was one of the ones where they, somebody got a good look at him. Like I think a witness saw him about three minutes later. Like somebody, they saw somebody looking quite nervy and running away from the scene, and they caught yeah. a good sight of him. And I think, I think the e-fit from this one was actually starting to. They were starting to see a trend in some of them as well. More accurate. There was a whole lot of other ones uh, at the time, but I think those ones were the most important because it was like it went from uh, two girls in a car to a couple like shifting, and then they ended up getting a load of bullets. To him yeah. coming out in the open, you know, in army fatigues, like he's wearing a uniform, something that could be identified. To yeah, yeah. then, uh, um, you know, uh, attacking a girl at point blank on her own with no car at all. So it seems he's getting braver and braver as it goes along and the braver he got and the closer he got to the victim the easier it was for um, to identify him you know so yeah so after he killed um uh what was her name the virginia the student yeah that's when people fully started freaking out i think so from what I, yeah i've got this i've got it here that women started um changing their haircut because they were convinced it was was it um brunettes that we get short yeah shoulder length brunettes, brunettes. So everyone started dyeing their hair blonde, cutting it short. Um, and this is when I think they got their first letter. So he left a note on uh, a car addressed to the police. Uh, and it was the first time they knew that they were all linked. There was a, there was actually, on the documentary I saw, there was a suspicion they were linked, but no one had actually confidently said, right, these, this, right, trace them right through. Um, and then he sent this letter. I've got it here, actually. I'll read this one. This was the first one, and it is creepy. It says, I am, deep, I am deeply hurt by your calling me a woman, a woman hater. I'm not, but I am a monster. I am the son of Sam. I am a little brat. When Father Sam gets drunk, he gets mean. He beats his family. Sometimes he ties me up to the back of the house. Other times he locks me in the garage. Sam loves to drink blood. Go out and kill, commands Father Sam. Behind our house, some rest, mostly young, raped and slaughtered, their blood drained, just bones now. Papa Sam keeps me locked in the attic too. I can't get out, but I look out the attic window and watch the world go by. I feel like an outsider. I'm on a different wavelength than everybody else, programmed to kill. However, to stop me, you must kill me. Attention, all police, shoot me first, shoot to kill or else. Keep out of my way or you will die. Papa Sam is old now. He needs some blood to preserve his youth. He has had too many heart attacks. Too many heart attacks. Uh, me hoot, it hurts, sunny boy. I miss my pretty princess most of all. She's resting in our lady's house, but I'll see her soon. 
I am the monster, Beelzebub, the chubby behemoth. I love to hunt, prowling the streets, looking for fair game, tasty meat. The women of Queens are the prettiest of all. I must be the water they drink. I live for the hunt, my life. Blood for Papa. Mr. Borelli, sir, I don't want to kill any more. No, sir, no more, but I must honour thy father. I want to make love to the world. I love people. I don't belong on earth. Return me to Yahoo's. To the people of Queens, I love you. And I want to wish you all a happy Easter. May God bless you in this life and the next. And for now, I say goodbye and good night. Police, let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back. I'll be back to be interpreted. Bang, 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 bang. Ugh, yours in murder. Mr. Monster. That I mean, is... that is quite something, isn't it? He started off going like, I'm a fucking bastard. I'm going to kill you and have a happy Easter and mind yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'll see I you mean, around Christmas. Yeah, this is when, yeah, I think the sort of the actual, obviously you think somebody's mad if they go around shooting people. When you read that, I think that's the first time you think this guy is absolutely insane. You see that there's a there's a, a kind of a, a printed uh, letter, like he does this like, I've, I've cap- capital it. letter. It's fucking bananas. The letters look like yeah. a crazy person, but it's like capital letter printed handwritten note, and he left it on the yeah. car after he murdered Alexander Aesu and Valentina Suriani. And the police, imagine finding this and going, oh, we have a fucking fruit and nutcase on our fucking hands here. Like, especially when the yeah. whole 16 million people in New York are freaking out. Women dyeing their hair. Uh-huh. The streets are empty most nights because no one wants to be out around it. Like he also sent another yeah. letter to uh, a Daily News columnist, Jimmy Breslin, and the envelope was marked "Blood and Family, Darkness and Death, Absolute Depravity, and Forty Four Caliber." And he wrote, "Hello from the gutters of New York City, which are filled with dog manure, vomit, stale wine, urine, and blood. Hello from the sewers in New York City, which swallow up these delicacies when they're washed away by the sweeper trucks. Hello from the cracks in the sidewalks of NYC." And from the ants that dwell in the cracks and feed in the dry blood of the dead that settled into them. I'm just dropping you a line to let you know I appreciate your interest in those recent and horrendous 44 caliber killings. I also want to tell you I read your column daily and I find it quite informative. Tell me, Jim, what will you have for July 29th? You can forget about me if you like. I don't care for the publicity. However, you must not forget Donna Laria and you cannot let the people forget her either. She was a very, very sweet girl, but Sam's a thirsty lad and he won't let me stop killing until he gets his fill of blood. Mr. Breslin, sir, don't think that because you haven't heard from me for a while that I went to sleep. No, rather, I am still here, like a spirit roaming the night, thirsty, hungry, seldom stopping to rest. Anxious to please Sam. I love my work. Now, the void has been filled. Perhaps we shall meet face to face someday. Perhaps I'll be blown away by the cops with smoking 38s. Whatever, if I shall be fortunate enough to meet you, I will tell you all about Sam, and I'll introduce you to him. His name is Sam the Terrible. Not knowing what the future holds, I shall say farewell, and I will see you at the next job. Or should I say, you will see me at my handiwork at my next job. Remember Miss Laria. Thank you. In her blood from the gutter, Sam's creation, 44. Here are some names to help you along. Forward them to the inspector for use by NCIC. Uh, the Duke of Death, the Wicked King Wicker, the 22 Disciples of Hell, John Wheaties, rapist and suffocator of young girls. Uh, P.S. Inform all the detectives working the slaying to remain. Uh, please inform all the detectives working the case that I wish them the best of luck. Keep them digging, drive them on, think positive, get off your butts, knock on coffins, etc. Upon my capture, I promise to buy all the guys working the case a new pair of shoes if I can get up the money. Love, son of Sam. Like that, 
that is the craziest thing ever because that's sent to a fucking journalist telling them like yeah. on the 29th I'm going to commit some murders don't forget your Juan Laria uh, here's a load of cool nicknames that I've given myself that you can use in the paper but, yes, and then, no name nicknames is always a bad sign that's always just that's I mean yeah, your ego's going crazy the Duke of I'm the Duke of Death that's a fucking shit one man that thing where he just says, I read your column daily. It sounds like he's starting like an actual, just, you know, the letters you get in the local paper. Yeah. I read your column daily. It's like, a, it's like an it's application just... for an internship. It's like, I love your work. Um, and if yeah. you don't give me a job, I'm going to kill a lot of people on the 29th. It's, it, yeah, it's mad. Some of them Mental. nicknames. Yeah. Mental. John Wheaties. John Wheaties, imagine. <laughs> um, so... At this point, Berkowitz is a household name. He's, you know, they thought he was hiding around every corner. And the police were so desperate to find him. I saw in a documentary that they were even watching episodes of Starsky and Hutch because there was a similar storyline in a Starsky and Hutch episode. And they were like, maybe this guy is copying that thing. So let's like fast forward to the end and see what happens. And we just do that and solve the case. I don't know. I mean, they must have been really desperate because there was no way of getting it. Yeah. And I couldn't see how this guy is so good that he would not leave any DNA or any of this kind of stuff, you know? Like when watching Man, uh, Mindhunter, did you ever watch that on Netflix? Where they're talking no. about, um, they're talking about uh, trying to find uh, Ed Kemper, t- trying to talk about finding um, Ted Bundy, to talk about Richard Speck. Like there's all these murderers and there's a guy in the FBI yeah. who's trying to develop this, I guess, uh, personality modeling to try and find oh, yeah, criminals. Yeah, yeah. And th- this stuff was in its infancy, but they were trying to do this, like looking through his letters and looking through all this stuff. But the reason he was known as the son of Sam and the thing that I thought for years was the fact that he thought his neighbor Sam Carr was the devil and his dog, yes. who was possessed by a demon, was giving him messages uh, telepathically. So he yeah. shot the dog after a lengthy exchange of like threatening letters between Carr. And then the thing that got him caught, and this is so simple, and the reason that he got caught I think is because he really, really wanted to. He was fed up with killing, and he just wanted to cash it in. So these letters yeah. that were sent to Carr uh, were attached to a case after Berkowitz got a parking ticket for parking in front of a fire yeah. hydrant, and his bright yellow Ford Galaxy, which is fairly conspicuous, was easily traced when they took the uh, uh, license plate, they matched it to the address, they looked at any reports of police uh, that had to do with that address and found out that he was sending threatening letters. Then they went and interviewed the uh, neighbor and the neighbor's like, that guy's fucking crazy. So they sent the police over and they saw Berkowitz coming out of his house with a little brown paper bag. Unbeknownst to the police, that had the fucking gun in it and he was out on another wow. shooting spree for the night. And the police goes, freeze, are you David Berkowitz? And he's like, ah, shite, you got me. And the cop is like, what? Who have I got? He's like, <laughs> Um, son of Sam I'm son of Sam you got me oh shit did you not oh shit like he he just gave himself up super easy yeah yeah yeah, that suggests that he definitely was done and wanted to be caught I think that he wanted to be caught from the very start and that's why he's given out like after four or five murders or at least attempts he he was like putting out letters going catch me catch me like well, do you think that's why some of the attempts felt, I and mean, this is a horrible way to describe a shooting of anyone, but they felt a bit half-hearted almost? <laughs> yeah. I don't that, even that, know it's, yeah. it's insensitive to say that, because obviously he did kill some people, but, you know, to, like, shoot two people at point-blank range who were sitting on a porch, you know, that is, if he was and he's a trained army marksman, you know, to, it, yeah. it just feels, it stinks of, it stinks of 
panic and it almost like he was obsessed with doing it but actually didn't want it to work i don't know it's i don't know maybe he, he just yeah he wanted to get the attention for being a serial murderer but just not do any of the murders and after like yeah after seven people injured he was like um maybe i just have to start killing people and then he started successfully killing them and then they still couldn't yeah. catch him so then he's dropping letters and then the minute yeah. a cop goes by him he's like oh yeah you have me now yeah <laughs> <laughs> do, do you know it's like yeah, yeah no, it, does, it, it. Feels of, it does feel of attention seeking doesn't it yeah um I said it should have done stand-up stand-up comedy was the way out man. that's it you get away with it so anyway to to, to wrap it up the media frenzy that fell on, on Berkowitz at the time was immense and he seemed to really enjoy it. He couldn't stop smiling after his arrest and he, he was put in Attica, which was a notorious uh, prison at the time for, for some riots and pri- prisoner maltreatment, I guess. They were calling for his death. The people of New York were like, kill this lad. There's no death penalty in New York and they were wanting his execution. He killed six people, brutally injured seven and uh, Robert uh, Violante was shot in the head and, and he, he, was, he was blinded in both eyes and his girlfriend was killed. And his family were speaking on the documentary I watched and his mom was like, that guy, they should absolutely execute him. He's a disgrace, a disgusting human being. And all of the things that Berkowitz was saying about himself, like, I'm disgusting, I'm a waste of space, I'm a piece of shit, I'm not worth anything, I'm a bastard. Like, he heard that echoed back from the world. And it yeah, seemed yeah. to delight him somehow because he was smiling and he was gleefully recanting these disgusting details of these murders so much so that it was undeniable that it was him because only he would know the details yeah and the police yeah. were like yeah you're the only one you know the way they do that yeah that's where so, yeah maybe it's like he was desperate for you know he always thought he was a monster and a bastard and hearing it he actually sort of almost wanted to just f- f- prove it for finally that it, you know oh just get acknowledgement like that's what a lot of those guys do you know you yeah. see the, you see the murderers and they're like uh, why don't you catch me, Mister Copper? Like and leaving clues, like Zodiac was leaving notes and still didn't get caught. Yeah. Um, you know Ted Bundy the same. Like loads of these guys leaving stuff behind to go catch mm. me, please. Like I want not only do I want the gratification of killing him, but I want the glory as well. So yeah. after a couple have of years, seen, have you, I'm sorry, I was going to say, have you followed his sort of progress since you've been in prison? I I haven't because uh, I know I know I watched uh, some clips of him in the nineties. So he basically, obviously, he sort of quite he owned it a bit when he first was um, sentenced. Yeah, and uh, and he's you know he, he was still banging on about being a monster and all that. But I, in the nineties, I saw an interview with him where he went back to saying it's a satanic cult, and actually, he did he claimed that he wasn't responsible for all the murders, and it was a group thing. You know, it was part of a yeah. much bigger. No, seen, it was there, there was more murders. interviews. Yeah, he said that there was a, uh, almost immediately, like a year after he was arrested, the whole kind of dog as a demon and told me how to do it fell apart. So he confessed it wasn't yeah. a dog, and he pled guilty in court and said like, "Put me away forever because I'm afraid I'm going to kill again." And then he made up some. Then later on in the eighties, he made up some other story. And in the nineties, there's interviews you can watch where he does say, "Yeah, it was part of a cult," and that. I only committed, he said, I only committed three of the murders and the rest of them and the shootings were done by other people in the cult as initiation rites. Like you were saying earlier on that it, it could actually be linked to like Zodiac and the Zodiac killer is not just one person. It's like uh, well, That's what I heard on one of, the, of one of the theories, yeah. So, and also Manson, it's like some of them linked it back to Manson as well. But yeah, because Manson was alive this whole time, maybe giving orders from yeah, inside. Yeah. And, that's one yeah. of the theories. But I mean, it's not, that's just, you never know, do you? But... Um, but 
But yeah, with a lad like this, he's totally full of shit, man. Down. He's full of shit, Carol. That's like, the there's thing. You can, everything he's ever said can be, you know, he's gone back on it either himself yeah. or it can be disproven through physical evidence. So what the fuck? And I'd say the reason I definitely think it's all bollocks is um, because he's now become a full-on born-again Christian. And he's gone full circle and just said he was just a troubled, you know, bad young person looking mm. for attention and all that. And he's now... You know, he's got like a website where he gives advice to young people how to not fall down into like, you know, into bad habits. Which I, you know, I think you had some things that were slightly worse than bad habits, mate. But yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. really trying to, he's really reinvented himself. He's not like, I don't know if, if he's looking for parole or anything. I think he knows he's there for life. And Yeah, he's in, yeah. he's serving uh, 13, 25 to life consecutive sentences back to back. Yep. And he, when, he comes up for, when, yeah, when he comes up for parole, he gets um, he gets told, yeah, 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 okay, we'll take 15 years off that sentence. And now you start the next one. So he's told, like, I'll never be out of jail. But some of the yeah, shit yeah. that he's done since being in there has gotten more notoriety than the murders themselves. Like, he's come out every so often uh, saying, like, same with Charlie Manson, like, you come out with some mad shit, you do an, a, 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 an interview with Diane Sawyer, or you call in, like, you know, fucking Louis Theroux, and you know, you do your documentary. He he once claimed that the Hall and Oates song "Rich Girl" motivated him to kill. <laughs> that it was that it was telling people like you know, uh, uh, you're a rich girl, you're gone too far, uh, and you and you you know you shouldn't be taking the old man's money. You should earn it yourself. And he was killing all these girls. Yeah. He, did you know that you were saying he he was a little bit of an arsonist? He set fourteen hundred fires in New York before he turned to, to murder. That's a lot of fires. I did know that. that is a, yeah. That's a load of fires. That was a big I mean, what scale? <laughs> yeah. We're talking, I mean, he, can't, he could be saying 1,400 and he could be included in like lighting a match as one of those. Well, he was, yeah, I guess, lighting a paper and throwing it in a bin. Yeah. But it was, it, was a, it was a whole thing that like the police were going, well, l- l- let's go through your crimes. And he said, I did this, 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 this. And they marked it off as reports of all these crimes. So it's up to 1,400. And that's, that's reported stuff. Yeah, imagine that. Um, he, yeah. The 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 fact that he was killing people, killing people in cars, he came out then with this as he as he turned Christian, he came out with this moral thing of, I was doing the world a favor. I was I was killing these couples in cars who were going to have unprotected sex and end up with bastard children, and I didn't want another child to be born like me. It's unwanted. Yeah. And given up for adoption, and I'm sure Roe v. Wade and the 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 legalization of abortion and stuff kind of spurred him on to try and make up that narrative and yeah, yeah yeah there's a report as well of him freaking out in court where he was being sentenced like there was another hearing and the families of his victims were there and he got up and he started screaming and climbing over the back the back bench like try, climbing over the thing screaming at the families going uh, i'd do it all again if i had the chance and if you ever get near me i'll fucking kill all ye as well and you can only yeah you can only imagine like how difficult that is for the families yeah, you know, yeah what the fuck like uh also the fact that he asked to be put away for life he's like put me away forever yeah, yeah it's weird because you can't work out if he's just fully insane uh or if, if an egotist and was acting up a bit and like, trying to build his character even more there well the, the building of his character and this whole kind of like follow me on instagram mentality what is Ash Son of Sam, by the way. Um, if, you, if you see what he did, he manipulated the media. And I think for the fir- first time since Manson, because they didn't really give Manson a lot of press because it was late, late 60s. This is now 80s. You're talking about like a, 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 yeah. 
insatiable uh, news kind of uh, uh, perpetual news feed. They wanted stuff all the time. So they brought in these laws called Sam's Laws, which restricted uh, the profits able to be made by a perpetrator of a crime for selling their story to the likes of 60 Minutes or whatever. So you couldn't be remunerated for for making up stories because this cunt was such a liar and such a story maker that they went... Every time the television comes in here, you get a few bob. So you're not getting, you're not allowed to profit from selling the the uh, the rights to your story. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a world changer that they're not allowed to to, to have this yeah. profiteering or because you just change your story then and you can resell it again. Yeah. And what happens with the money? Are they allowed to pass it to family members or friends or? I don't. I don't think anyone from the estate is allowed to to profiteer from the story. That it can be like done right. for journalism or whatever, but not for. Okay. For right. any of these but things. before that, I mean, before that law, could somebody theoretically have profited, say, by selling their story as a serial killer and yeah. then given the money to their own family? Yeah, sure. So That's... theoretically, you could treat it as a business. I mean, yeah, you're spec- it's a speculative. I mean, you have to really do well for people to be yeah. popular. It's not like releasing a podcast or something like, geez, I hope this does no, well. No. Yeah, I'm just saying that, that. Yeah, before that, it could have it could have theoretically by one person who wanted to set their family up quite sure, well. Look at look that. at how much money cereal made. If you were if you were working for This American Life and you're like, hmm, I wonder if I create a ten part yeah. podcast where I turn out to be the murderer at the end. Like that's Maybe. the next thing. That's the thing that yeah, yeah. either make or break podcasting. But it's it's such a it's such a weird story like what like uh, to, to, to finish up like what do you think then after learning all that stuff we went through this whole thing this week you and me and now we're found out he's a fucking crazy cunt who was mad for yeah. the attention he's a liar I, like how i think feel it about? is classic you know again this is somebody who's i've probably read a handful of psychology books over the years i've done therapy i've did therapy for a period of my life yeah i've done a little bit about it but it just stinks of child feels like never got enough attention was abandoned by any you know powerful person that should have been there when they were a child grew up with this desperate need for attention and to be not even loved but to be wanted or or just to be known and to be you know important yeah and then with the sort of you know mental health problems i'm sure arose from his childhood and teens and they started you know sort of coming out in little acts of violence I think it was just yeah it was that was the natural progression to, for him feeling that he needed to do something big so that people would recognize him did you see the videos of his father when they asked like did you ever expect your son to be that what did you what did you do when you found out and he said i cried and he broke down into mad tears did and he, he stayed with him didn't he right up until his um death stayed like yeah. you know never abandoned him you know ironically it's sort of the, what that it sort of after that his dad you know, clearly he's actually probably much more... That's the thing we had when we got his side of the story, but maybe his dad, his adopted dad, actually was a much better dad than he pretends in his, you know, how he talks about him. Yeah, maybe Burke was was getting hard trying to... Yeah, 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 he's just trying to keep a family, you know. Somebody who's got abandonment issues will see that worse than somebody who just thinks their dad's out making a few coin. Do you think that uh, the dad could have done anything to stop that at some point seeing that he's setting a lot of fires and he's killing the fucking family parakeet do you think that he could have went in and said look come on to fuck what are you doing like they brought him to a, they brought him to a psychologist 
Yeah. And the psychologist that's, I mean, was like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? It's also, we don't know. Psychology back then and therapy was probably very different to it is now. We probably had different, like, checklists of, right, he's killed a parakeet. You know, now I would say if somebody's killing animals in their teens, we know that has got, you know, that's a, that's a really bad sign. Whereas back then it's probably just, you know, they might have been a little bit more naive in their psychological diagnosis. Do you think it was a part of the thing of like he was adopted and maybe we got a broken one and I don't want to admit that. So I'm just going to hang on and see and hope he's okay. Like if it was his own, if it was his own child, maybe he would have been a bit harsher or if he had had some connection with him as a child, maybe he didn't want to meddle. Imagine that. Yeah, you wouldn't want to even contemplate putting him into care or anything like that because yeah, I imagine they're thinking of the aban- abandonment issues that would cause as well. They didn't realise that maybe the damage was already done. Yeah. And then what so. do you think about the, the the letters and stuff? We're getting kind of... There's no off-defence really in the in the true crimes. So it's just finding out h- how you feel about the end of it. Like you think, like you said, the false murders at the start or the failed ones at the start were maybe him not wanting to follow through and then towards the end he's like fuck if i want to get attention i'm going to have to actually kill some fuckers and yeah, then he threw out some letters like was this a desperate ploy or i think he was just a bit of a dick who wanted attention and it escalated and it ended up yeah i don't know it felt like the early ones were very for some of these are marksmen to you know be that thoughtless with the aim i think maybe best. maybe he was super thoughtful because they hit someone in the neck and the spine instead of in the face or the heart. Oh, like, uh, yeah. Statistically, is probably way more difficult oh, to I miss. Panic, I, yeah, I suppose. I don't know. I just feel like it wasn't... He didn't have that cold commitment to every like, shot. It's, it feels like a panicked, desperate need to do it rather than a, like a calculated decision-making you know, process. Yeah, maybe so. And uh, he's still alive, so if you got a chance to ask him, ask him something, he, he actually, he, he was uh, at the end of last year, he was moved to a, a medical facility because he was suffering from a heart attack. And some of the last public quotes he made were, uh, my killing spree was a break from reality. And I thought I was doing something to appease the devil. I am sorry for it. There hasn't been any public statement from him since he's still alive. What would you, what would you ask him if you got a chance? I mean, I'd probably ask about the letters. I think I'd ask him where they, was he conscious when he was writing them? They sounded insane, or was that yeah. genuinely what he was thinking? The exact that was the exact wording of what he wanted to write. Or was there a sort of bit of playing up to it? Do you give some credence to the fact that it might have been like a a, con- a conglomeration of the satanic cult? Because he didn't seem like he he was smart. He was a smart dude, but the stuff that was in those letters are too mental. To just be one guy, like, going, and then, and this, and there's, like, you know, the Duke of Death and all these kind of things. Mm. It seems like it could have been written by committee and people were like, oh, say this, that sounds weird. And he's writing them, like, do you but think there's any credence to... Now, like, saying he's sorry now, repenting and becoming a Christian, why would he not then give names and stuff of people that are involved? I think... He's, I think he's gone back on that whole thing in the 90s of saying it was a group and he didn't do them all. He's now accepting full responsibility for them. I yeah, maybe because they came to yeah. him and said, like, we'll, we'll make your life worse. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Do you don't think? I don't you don't no, think, I, think, no. I, don't, I, don't, I think he was a, he was a, a solo, sad, messed up guy who did horrible things because he was looking for attention and, and, yeah, and snapped and just did, you know, 
didn't get enough and love. And they didn't get enough love, but also, you know, that's no excuse. And now he's rightly sort of paying the price. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a unilateral fact, man. The kids that don't get hugged enough or get hugged too much uh, seem to end up in this uh, type of nefarious yeah. situation. So hug your kids out there, guys. Yeah, Let them know that you love them. Not too much. For fuck's sake. But not too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ration it. Ration one much. a day. <laughs> Daily hug time, Matthew. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, that, that's it, man. That's it for the end of Sunday Sound. I'm going to put up just loads of extra stuff that is just too murky and, and long-winded to go through. Um, but I just like to like to look into the past life and just go, like, why is he doing this thing? If you want to find out more about yeah. the murders, there's, there's Summer Sam. That, like, that's a really good atmospheric kind of depiction of what was going on at the time. Um, and then yeah. there's, there's, like, little tidbits and other... Like all of his his interviews are all available on YouTube, so I put I put a lot of those up in the Bit Shoot channel. Um, so if you want to get in contact with the show, anything we're doing on the show, or you want to get you know ask some questions or fill in some gaps, tell me something that I've done wrong. Uh, info at those conspiracy guys is the email. Uh, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, Pinterest, anything that has a social media, we have it. T, t- conspiracy guys or those conspiracy guys. Uh, search conspiracy and we should show up. Uh, we also have a website, thoseconspiracyguys.com and the lifeblood of the show, Patreon. So patreon.com slash those conspiracy guys. You guys over there, keep the lights on and keep me in a full time job doing these podcasts. You will also be able to get to watch this if you're watching this on YouTube in the future. Uh, you can watch these live as I make them if you are a Patreon. Uh, we're streaming right now uh, exclusively to, uh, to to Patreon.com. Um, and I will be releasing this video as I release the episode. So going on into the future uh, for the next few months, I'm recording all of Season 7 and all the true crimes before we head away for our America trip for TCG TV. So I'm going to America for nine months to make 12 documentaries and uh, a whole bunch of daily vlogs for the nine months that we're there and you can find out more about that on gofundme.com slash tcgtv uh, and you can get you know a fiver roll it up into a ball throw it up the internet and uh, help me get to go to america to make more stuff uh, for you to watch with your eyes so uh, all that leaves me to do is say thanks very much to carl donnelly for joining me thanks carl for talking about some sound What's that? um oh, it's fun. good crack we can find you all, all of the social medias as well. Carl Donnelly, D-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y. And yes. uh, you have Carl Donnelly at uh, dot, uh, dot .co.uk. Go and see him at uh, a plethora of uh, uh, UK and Irish comedy clubs. Just keep an eye out for him and keep your eye on his Twitter for notifications of those. Thanks Cheers, so much mate. for joining me, man. No, it's really, really fun. It's, I mean, it's obviously quite harrowing as well at times. Oh, yeah. But, but like... Interesting. I mean, it's interesting. Like, it's not, you know, I'm a firm believer and there's no such thing as just good people, bad people. I think there's... There's you know, reasons, there's reasons for everything. There is reasons for everything. You know, I am... Um, we've all done bad things and it doesn't mean you all... You know, I think there's... You know, I'm not justifying anyone doing anything bad, but I think you've got to... You, there is always a root cause. For sure. Um... Hug your kids, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) That's it for those conspiracy guys for this time. My name is Gordo. Carl. And uh, we'll see you again next time. Bye.